Good morning, everyone. Could you please stand with us? Your glory speaks in every language across the sky to every nation. You are beauty unimagined. This is who you are. You are the Lord of my salvation. You are the one who lights my way through the dark night. You will
Baptist Church, we're so thankful that you are here. I know we got some guests with us today, and we're delighted uh, to have you with us. Uh, you'll find all kinds of announcements here in the bulletin. There's also a place for you to fill out some information about yourself, a response card, um, just, just some things. Uh, welcome to Northside, and on the back, there's a place for you to list some prayer requests as well. We would appreciate that if you would fill that out, and there's a box out there in the foyer if you could uh, just drop that in there on your way out, uh, we would greatly, greatly appreciate that. Also want to mention, just because we've kind of been changing up our order of service, we do have Children's Church. It's for those second grade and under, and, and they'll meet out here in the Fellowship Hall, and you're going to go out when we sing Victory in Jesus. So as we're singing that song, making our way through uh, Victory in Jesus, that well-known hymn, uh, that's when our kids who are going to go to Children's Church will be uh, dismissed. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord, amen? It is also wonderful to have Mr. Curtis and Miss Ann back with us today, right? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Looking better than ever. I told Curtis earlier, I said they survived the virus and they survived each other. For 14 days, I know Ann, that's a lot to have to put up with, but they did it. So, man, man God is good. Listen, there's a lot of important things uh, that you're going to do this week, but what we're doing this morning is the most important. And we're gathering to exalt Jesus Christ and to disciple one another. 
And then when we leave here, we continue that important work as you enter into your networks and where you live and where you work, because there are people there who need Jesus. They don't know that living hope, and you do. And so our prayer as his disciple, who's making disciples, is that you will go and tell them about uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, our praying the scripture this morning comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, that's where I'm going to be preaching from. It's chapter 1, verse 18. We haven't done this uh, much in the last couple months because we've been having a lot of videos we've been showing. But what i like to do is this verse will be on the screen, and I just want to encourage you for a moment just to think upon this verse, meditate upon this verse, and use something here in these verses to prompt you to pray. So it could be you know someone who is perishing. You know someone who does not believe in Jesus. And so for the next minute, you can pray for them. Or it could be that you just want to spend some time thanking God for saving you. That you were at one point perishing and now you have been saved. Or maybe you just want to contemplate upon the cross and what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's a moment just to continue to help us to prepare our hearts for the preaching of God's Word. So would you take just a moment in this silence, just pray through this verse, and then I will pray for us, and then we'll continue to worship together. Father, we thank you for this day. It is a beautiful day, the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you, Father, for giving us breath this morning, the breath, God, that you have given that we use to praise you. Thank you, Father, for getting us here to this place this morning where we can gather together safely. Father, we thank you for, Lord, just the health that you have given our folks during this time. Thank you, Father, for how you have provided for the body of Christ here, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're thankful for, Lord, our, our home folks. But, Father, we're also thankful this morning for our guest. Uh, Lord, you have uh, providentially brought, him, brought them here today. And, Lord, we just pray that what, is, what they hear and what they see would first and foremost, God, cause them just to glorify and praise you, a, a good God, a great God. But then, Lord, it would also be used to encourage them. And Father, before we continue to sing, the reality this morning is that everyone is either perishing apart from Jesus or they have been saved through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, Spirit of God, would you move in this place to cause those of us who say we love Jesus, that we would follow you, that we would take hold of you, Jesus, uh, more tightly than we ever have. And, and Lord, that we would just cling to you, our living hope. And if there is anyone here today, in person or online, watching us, and they are perishing, they are apart from you, God. They have rejected the word of the cross. They believe it is fully and, 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 and folly and foolishness to them. And, and they have rejected it. That today the Spirit of God would so impress upon their hearts their sin and their need for a Savior. And that today would be a day of salvation, a day of hope, of coming alive, of spiritual life in them. 
Father, you are able, and we believe in the power of God to save, even today. So, Spirit of God, work, we pray. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Come thou, almighty King, help us thy name to sing, help us to praise, Father all-glorious, or all-victorious, come and reign over us, ancient of days. Come thou incarnate word, gird on thy mighty sword, our prayer attend, come and thy people bless, and give thy word success, spirit of holiness on us descend. Come, holy comforter, thy sacred witness bear in this glad hour, thou who
again as we sing victory in Jesus. Good morning. 
If you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me just say again, it is good to have you back with us, Curtis and Ann. We have missed you guys. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to get in verse, I'm going to begin in verse 18 and I'm going to read through verse 25. Verses 18 through 25. This is the word of the Lord. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who were called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You may be seated. Last week we began a series called Be the Church, and we just did an introduction talking about what is the church and talking about how if you make it really basic, looking at some of the commandments of Jesus, right? we are to be disciples who make disciples. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus Christ, growing to be more like Christ, and then is telling others about how they too can know Christ. And so I shared there's four things we're going to look at that are going to kind of help us do this as a church that gathers here in Northside. And so the first one is, the first B is believe, 
Right? We're going to believe, and when we talk about believing, we're talking about believing in God, believing in His Son, Jesus Christ, and connecting with God. A disciple is someone who connects with God, has a relationship with God. And so as I was thinking about a passage of Scripture to preach from this morning, the Lord laid upon my heart 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And so before we dive into these verses, let me give you just a little bit of background about Corinth um, in the area in which Paul is writing this church. So if you look at chapter 1, verse 2, it says to the church of God that is in Corinth. So there's a church, a body of believers who are gathered and meeting here in Corinth. Corinth was located in southern Greece. This is what John MacArthur writes about this city where we find this church. Corinth was infamous for its depravity. Even by the pagan standards of the time, Corinth was so morally corrupt that its very name became synonymous with debauchery and moral depravity. Let me just give you one example. Here in Corinth was a temple to Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. MacArthur writes about this temple. The temple in the city employed more than a thousand priestesses who were religious prostitutes. Sexual immorality was rampant throughout the city and even in the church. Leon Morris writes this about Corinth. He says, Corinth was an important city. It was intellectually alert. It was materially prosperous. And it was morally corrupt. Hmm. Sounds like America today. Does it not? Intellectually alert. Materially prosperous. Morally corrupt. And so Paul is writing this letter to the church he founded. A church located in a pagan city surrounded by immorality and worldliness. A church that had seen the worldliness of the city infiltrate the body of believers. MacArthur continues, The most serious problem of the Corinthian church was worldliness and unwillingness to divorce the culture around them. And I think if we look at the church in America, we see that too. The worldliness of the world has infiltrated into the church. And so it's to this church struggling with sexual immorality, struggling with divisions, struggling with lawsuits against each other, wrestling with things like marriage and divorce that Paul addresses, struggling with things like the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which Paul addresses. It's to this church that Paul writes these words here that I want us to look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as we think about being disciples who make disciples, it is absolutely vital that you and I understand the focus of the gospel and the focus thus of our lives is upon the person of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about believing, when we call you to be a disciple, we are calling you to be someone who is following after Jesus and who loves Jesus with all of their heart. So notice four things with me in our text. And I want to draw your attention in these verses that we're going to look at, there are one, two, three, four, five, six buts that Paul mentions. He says something, and he says, but something else, a contrast. So I will draw your attention to them. Number one, I want you to notice that you as a disciple are to stake your life on the person and work of Jesus Christ. You are to stake your life 
upon the person in the work of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. We've already focused on it this morning. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The world in Corinth's day and in ours, right, looks at the cross and sees it as foolishness. The world stakes their lives on things like fame and power and wealth and intellectual knowledge. This is what the world, those who are perishing, this is what they are after. And they see the word of the cross as folly or foolishness. What does Paul say? Here's the first but. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but contrast to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Church, our hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the word of the cross. When you come to believe the gospel, that you are saved through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you begin to stake your life on that. Right? You become absolutely convinced that the very power of God that saved you through the cross of Jesus Christ can save the world through the cross of Jesus Christ. You become convinced of that and you stake your life upon that. It's not by accident that the Apostle Paul begins this letter to the church in Corinth by focusing upon the centrality of the cross in chapter 1. And then as he begins to wind up the letter in chapter 15, he spends an entire chapter focused upon the resurrection of Christ and the hope that that brings. Our hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we believe on Jesus, we go from perishing to being saved. To being rescued from sin and hell and restored to a right relationship with God. Church, God rescues us. And He delivers us. And He restores us. How? Through the Word of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, hear me, paid your debts. Jesus Christ took your sin. Jesus Christ took your place so that you then could take His place. And by faith in Christ, you are redeemed, reconciled, forgiven, beloved, accepted, and adopted. Notice what He says in verse 30 of chapter 1. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ has become these things for us. This is the power of God unto salvation. Well, church, why? Why would we ever abandon this? So many Christians today have abandoned this. Why would we walk away from this? Why would we treat this as unimportant or optional? Why would we try to talk less about the blood of Christ or the cross of Christ because people are offended by it? This is our very hope. It is the cross that saves us. The cross of Jesus. Many people are staking their lives on the things of the world. Well, you and I, as disciples and followers of Jesus, we stake our lives. We are absolutely convinced of the power of God to save through Jesus Christ. It's why we sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust in this, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus, Jesus' name. It's the name of Jesus. 
We believe in the power of God to save. And as his disciples, you must stake your life upon the person and the work of Jesus. Church, this is where it starts. It starts by you believing in Jesus. And by your repenting of your sins and confessing your sins and through trusting in Jesus, you are now connected with God. You have a relationship with God through the word of the cross. And it is the power of God to save. J.C. Pollock writes this, If the love of Christ Jesus could take root in Corinth, the most populated, wealthy, commercial-minded, and sex-obsessed city, it must prove powerful anywhere. If the cross of Christ could change lives in Corinth as it did, it can still happen today in America. This is the power of God, and I'm challenging you as his disciple to stake your life upon that, to make that the foundation of your life. But then secondly, I'm challenging you as his disciple to strive to preach Christ and him crucified. Now that you've made the decision, all right, my hope is in the cross, what am I going to do with that? You strive to preach Christ. And him crucified. Notice what it says here, beginning in verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly, look at this, of what we preach. What was the content of Paul's preaching? Well, it says the world finds it to be folly or foolishness, the folly of what we preach, to save those who believe. Verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. The message translation says, while Jews clamor for miraculous demonstrations and Greeks go in for philosophical wisdom. The Jews of Paul's day wanted the miraculous. They wanted the signs. Right? This was their heritage. Right, this, this was the, the people and, and how they grew up. Right, You go back to the Old Testament. What did God's people see over and over and over? The signs and miracles of God. Whether it's the parting of the Red Sea or the ten plagues or the manna that just fell from heaven. They were used to seeing these signs. And they wanted to continue to see more miraculous signs. What did the Greeks desire? They wanted wisdom. Philosophical wisdom. Verse 23. But... But we preach Christ crucified. Paul says, look, this is what they want. The Jews want the signs. The Greeks want the wisdom. But here's what I'm going to give them. It is the cross of Christ. Christ crucified. He says, I'm going to preach. That means to herald. That means to announce. That means to proclaim. You don't have to be up here to preach. You can herald and proclaim Jesus wherever you go. And what does he say? I preach Christ crucified. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Here was Paul's message. Paul's message was Christ, who he is. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the Lamb of God. This was his message. He preached Christ crucified. What Christ did for you and for me, how he was raised from the dead. This is our message. Jesus Christ crucified. Look what he says, verse 23. 
That message, however, is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. It's fascinating. The very thing the Jews wanted was the miraculous. I don't know about you, but I can think of no greater miracle than God saving a wretch sinner like me. That's the miracle that they really should have been seeking. The, the, the Greeks wanted wisdom, and yet Paul says the very wisdom of God is the fact that he sent his son Jesus to die for sinners. And so Paul preaches this message, but notice it's not well received. It's a stumbling block to Jews, and it is folly to Gentiles. Church, hear me. The message of the cross is scandalous, and it is offensive to a lost world. It always has been. You go back to Corinth, it was scandalous, and it was offensive. And you come to 2021, and it is scandalous, and it is offensive to a lost world. Why? Because the cross strikes at the heart of human pride. The cross strikes at one of the greatest sins in our life, which is pride. It announces that you cannot save yourself, that only God can save you. The message of Jesus Christ is offensive. And yet, it is the exact message that a lost, perishing world needs to hear. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in this room know my view or my opinion on economics, social issues, politics, common core, immigration, you know how many of you know my views on that? This many. You know why? Because sometimes I don't know where I stand on those things. Like Common Core, I don't never really research that. I, don't, I know they don't do math the way that I used to do it. That's all I know, right? You, you, you don't know my opinion on those things. Now listen, I'm not saying they're unimportant. They're important. They impact people's lives. And we need to be willing to have those conversations. But hear me, even if I was an expert on every single one of those issues, I will not stand behind this pulpit and preach on those things. You know why? That's not what you need. Great to have conversations, Sunday school, in, in small groups, one-on-one -on -one with people at work. That's where those conversations need to be had, not up here. Look, I could stand up here week after week, and some preachers do it. They'll give you ten steps to peace, five steps for a healthy marriage, three steps to raise your kids right. If I did that, you know what you would be? Deeply discouraged. <laughs> like, I'd, I can't even do one of those ten steps, let alone nine. If that's how I preached... I would be discouraged week after week. Listen, I could stand up here and some preachers do it. They'll tell stories for 20 minutes. Some guys will tell joke after joke. Look, that's not how I'm wired. I'm not funny. I'm not funny here. I'm not funny at home. I'm just not funny. I can't give you the puns that Pastor BJ can give you. I gave one the other day on accident. It was accidental. And I'm like, man, BJ does that on purpose. He knows how to do that, right? I'm not funny. I could stand up here and give you opinion after opinion, but I'm fully convinced that my responsibility as a, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to preach Jesus week after week. That's all I got for you, is to preach Jesus. And I am convinced what the world needs from you is Jesus Christ. They need Jesus. Again, these other things are important. And we need to have those conversations. But man, it starts with Jesus. Strive to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Your focus is the gospel, God's plan to redeem sinners. And hear me, the only reason, the only reason we won't preach Christ, 
is because we haven't staked our lives on Christ. The only reason we won't preach Christ throughout the week is because we're not convinced it's the power of God to save sinners. But when you become convinced of that, absolutely convinced, and your life is staked upon that, you will begin to tell others about Jesus Christ. And if you don't know how to do that, man, we're having an evangelism training this afternoon at 4 o'clock. And I want to encourage you to come. I'm going to give you one method that you can use to share the gospel. Pastor BJ is going to talk about sharing your testimony. Maybe you're going to say, well, look, Pastor, I got kids. Well, what am I supposed to do? Well, let me encourage you. One of you come. One of you come, take notes, and then go home. And tonight, talk about it. It's a great first step of discipleship. Hey, this is what I learned. Let me tell you what I learned. And together, we can begin to implement this. Listen, if you believe that there's only one hope for yourself, your family, your friends, your neighbors, and that hope is Jesus, then we're going to strive to preach Christ. So before we move on to the next point, as a disciple of Jesus, you should be known, known for telling others about Jesus Christ crucified and raised. You should be known as a child of God who believes in Jesus. That's how you should be identified first and foremost in your life. Number three, moving along here. Number three, we should seek to exalt Jesus Christ. Verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Here's the next but. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption verse 31 so that as it is written let no let the one who boasts boast in the lord let the one who boasts boast in the lord our aim is the glory and fame of jesus christ it is to exalt jesus and in exalting jesus we exalt the father that is not the way of the world the way of the world is true in corn's day it's true in ours is to boast in self and yet the scripture says, look, you have no reason to boast in the self, right? Look at verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The message translation, right, which is a paraphrase, uh, and sometimes it's helpful in its wording, says this. None of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. No one can toot their own horn before God. No one can. Verse 31 says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The word boast means to express an unusually high degree of confidence in someone or something. You look around at the world today, and man, people put a lot of confidence in themselves. Why can't we do that? Well, look at verse 26. And hear me, Paul's talking about me. And he's talking about you. Notice the word many. For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Have you ever noticed when you study history and the people that God uses, the kind of people God uses? Yes, God can use the really, really smart people and the really wealthy people, and he has used them before. But most of the people God uses are not there. The, the 12 that Jesus called to follow him, not the elites of the day. They were fishermen. One of them was a tax collector. 
And these are the people that God uses in His kingdom. The poor, the uneducated, the simple people. Right? This is, for the most part, the people who make up the church. Common, ordinary people like me. That's who God uses. And so Paul's desire is that this church work together for the glory of God, not for their own glory, not to boast in themselves, but to boast in God. So question for you this morning, is your top priority this morning the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel, or is it the advancement of self? Study the church here in Corinth. You know what you find? A church with a whole lot of division and dissension. Now listen, here's what happens when we make it about ourselves. Here's what happens when we become self-centered. It leads to things like jealousy. Even in the church, when we are thinking about self, we become jealous because somebody else got the praise, somebody else is now teaching, right? They got the accolades, we become jealous of their talents, or it leads to quarreling. It leads to division. It also can lead to boasting. Chapter 1. Verse 12, here's what Paul is dealing with in this church. He says, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, which is Peter, or I follow Christ. Right? There's these factions, these divisions in the church, and you got a group over here saying, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to follow Apollos. And another group over there saying, I'm going to follow Peter. And you got all these divisions, and they should be following Christ, but rather they're following individuals. Prior to your coming to faith in Jesus, Satan desired to deceive you and keep you from being saved. But once you put your faith in Christ, Satan can no longer destroy you. And as long as you stay grounded in the Word of God, he can't deceive you because you're grounded in the Word. So what then does Satan desire to do if he knows he can't take your salvation and he can't ultimately destroy the church of Jesus Christ? Well, he'll just try to distract us. He'll try to divide us. So our focus is inward rather than on what God is calling us to do. And this church had become divided. Hear me, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, who makes disciples of Jesus Christ, you are not to boast in self. And you are not to boast or to put your confidence in any man. Any man. Any man, including the man who is the president of the United States. What has happened over the last four years is deeply concerning to me. Because on one side, you had a group of people who elevated an individual so much that they believed he was the problems for everything. And they despised and hated him. And you had people on the other side who believed this man was the savior to all our problems. And they had no problem supporting him in everything he did, and they could never call out his faults. And that is a microcosm, I think, of what's really happening in a lot of places. We have elevated individuals to a place they have no business being. Don't boast or elevate a man. That is a cult of personality. Don't do that. Our focus is on Jesus. We don't boast in buildings or music or ministries or pastors. We boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? 
That doesn't mean we can't be thankful for those things. Thankful for our building. Thankful for your pastors. Thankful for our ministries and those who are serving. But we boast in the Lord. We seek to exalt the name of Jesus. And lastly and quickly, we want to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. Uh, Man, there's something that really jumps out to me in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And I want you to see if if it jumps out to you. Beginning in verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What jumped out to you? Maybe you said verse 2. We already read that earlier. If I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's important. But what jumped out to me was verse 3. This is Paul. He says, And I, Paul, was with you. How? In weakness and in fear and much trembling. Is that shocking to anybody else? Like when I think of the Apostle Paul, right? I think of a giant in the faith. Like, I think of this man of God, this theologian, this preacher, this saint, who he, ain't, he wasn't ever scared. Like, he ain't scared. Like, he's just going to walk in the synagogue. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he's just going to throw down the gospel and walk out, and whatever happens, happens. Like, there's no fear or trepidation in this man. And yet, what does he say? I came in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Can anybody relate to Paul right now? Maybe you are just afraid. Afraid of the virus, afraid of the direction of the country. Maybe when you think about telling others about Jesus, man, you're, you're, you're trembling, you're anxious, you're nervous. Right? Maybe you are afraid. And Paul felt it, but we continue. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Church, our faith rests not upon our cleverness or our strength or our abilities, but on the power of God. Paul knew that. And so even though he was trembling, and even though he was dealing with some fear, he would still go in, and he would still proclaim, and if it cost him his life, it cost him his life, because he knew the power of God to save. As a disciple, we must surrender to Jesus Christ, and we must rest on his power. Hear me, surrender is a battle term. It implies giving up all rights to the conqueror. When an opposing army surrenders, they are laying down their arms, right? They're waving the white flag. They are, they are surrendering, and the winner takes control from then on. Surrendering to God works the same way. God has a plan for your life. And when we talk about you being a disciple, we are saying you believe in Jesus, or you've staked your life on him, you seek to tell others about him, you seek to exalt him, and you want to be surrendered to him in every area of your life life. You set aside your sin. You set aside your agenda. You set aside your plans and you begin to seek after him and you begin to seek holiness. One author writes this about those in Corinth. He says the idea of the Corinthian was the reckless development of the individual. The reckless development of the individual. Let me say again. Sound like America? 
That's what America's been all about here lately. It is the development of the individual. All that matters is the self. And whatever the self wants to do, it's good. There's no right or wrong anymore. This is how I feel. This is what I want to do. It's me. I'm in control of my own life. And so they begin to do it. So hear me. We are living in a day when the individual and their opinion trumps the authority of the Word of God. As a disciple, I am calling you and I am reminding you that you are to surrender to the authority of the Word of God. We have had far too many of our sons and our daughters who we tried our best to raise, but we really failed to disciple them. And they have walked off to college And they've been surrounded in a different environment with different truths and different teachings. And they, over time, begin to walk away from the authority of the Word of God. And they begin to believe whatever the world is telling them is true. As His disciple, you are to surrender and to submit to the Word of God in every area of your life. Even if you don't want it to be true, it's the Word of God. And you surrender and submit to the Word of God. You are, as we said last week, a follower of Jesus. That means you are behind Him and you are trusting in Him and His words. Let me point out one more thing and then we're going to pray and we're going to sing a song together. Go back to verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let me draw your attention here. Notice there are only two classes of people those who are perishing and those who are being saved. That's it. There's no middle ground. This morning, whether you are in person or watching online, every single one of us is either perishing on our way to hell because we have rejected Christ and His work for us on the cross, or we are saved through Christ and His work on the cross. So here's my question for you. Number one is where are you? Where are you this morning? Are you with the perishing? You've rejected Jesus? Or are you with the saved? Where are you? And where do you want to be? And this morning, there's good news. If you're perishing this morning, if you realize, look, I've rejected Jesus Christ. I've considered the cross to be foolish. I want to be saved. And only Jesus can save me. This morning, you can cry out to the Lord Jesus and you can be saved. That if you would confess your sins and believe upon your heart, right, that God, was, that Jesus, that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So this morning, whether you're here or sitting in your living room, believe upon the name of Jesus and you will be saved. Church, if you say, I'm saved, then that means you are also his disciple. And his disciple, as his disciple, mistake your life upon Christ. Stake your life upon him. Seek and strive to tell others about him and to exalt him in every area of your life. And every day remind yourself you're surrendering to the word of God and to the power of God in your life. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Let me pray for us, and then we're going we're gonna to sing a song together. We haven't done this in several weeks. We're going to sing only trust Him. This morning, where are you? Would you say you're perishing or you're saved? But my prayer for you is that you would believe upon the name of Jesus Christ and you would be saved. And once you are saved, that you would begin to pursue Him and know Him.
So let me pray for you, and then we're just going to sing. And, and while we sing, I just want to encourage you to respond as the Lord leads you. The altar is always open. If you have made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, I would just ask that you would come see me after the service. I would love to be able to share more with you and pray with you and over you or, or seek out a friend or a Sunday school teacher, someone that can just pray for you. Father God, as we, as we stand in just a moment and as we sing Only Trust Him, Lord, would you just... Press upon our hearts that what we read in the Word of God are not just words on a page, but this is truth. This is, this is reality, and it is the very power of God to save, God, your people through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it is not enough just for us to say we believe, but Lord, if we believe, we're going to be transformed. We're going to become disciples who make disciples. So Father, speak to us right now. Have we surrendered? Are we exalting Christ or self? Do people know our opinions about everything else and yet don't know where we stand with Jesus? And are we, really, are we really convinced that Jesus, you are the only one who can save us? As we sing, O Spirit of God, move in this place. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us? Only trust Him. seated. Miss Barbara Heastan came over to me and asked if she could just share, so if you'll come up, she just has a, a brief word or testimony that relates to the importance of us as believers telling others about Jesus Christ. And so if you, if you just want to come and, and share that. Story before, but, and to those I apologize and may it serve as a reminder. I retired from one of those companies that says, uh, you know, keep your religion to yourself. In fact, in the interview, 
I was told to check your religion at the door. Also in that interview, I told them I can't do that. So over the period of 30 years that I worked for them, I never worked on a Sunday. I made a, they made accommodation for that, and I made accommodation for their needs. But I tell you that only as a background, because people around me noticed that I wouldn't come in on Sunday, um, I wouldn't lie to you. If you asked me a question, you wanted an honest answer, you were going to get it. If you didn't want an honest answer, don't ask. Served me well, and I, I retired well. Okay, But that's only background, because the story I want to tell you is not about me. It's about a young man Dave, named David. He was one of my office mates when I was stationed in Port Wyneme. And he was in his mid-20s. Uh, smart, fresh out of college, good-looking guy. I really liked him. I actually tried to fix him up with my daughter, but she wasn't interested. <laughs> he, when you're an office mate with someone, it's like being a roommate. You get to know them very well. And he didn't talk a lot, but he obviously watched a lot. One afternoon, it was getting close to quitting time, and we were winding up. He got up and he walked across and sat at the desk, he sat at a chair across from my desk. And he very simply said, why do you believe what you believe? It was like, oh brother, this is the, this is the question they've warned me not to approach. I got up, closed the door, and I sat down and he and I talked for the next two hours. I was late leaving, he was late leaving. The only reason I did leave was because I glanced at the clock and I had to go to the daycare and get my kid. So David was getting ready to go on vacation. He was going to uh, ride a motorcycle, something he'd not done previously. He was trying to, trying to find himself. He was gonna ride a motorcycle from Southern California up through um, Canada and back again, and he was gonna be gone for a week. So after we had talked and I asked him, I said, do you have any more questions? And he said, no, he said, but I've got a lot to think about. So I got up to leave and I said, well, we can talk more when you get back. And I said something that I honestly do not ever remember saying to him before in my life. As I left, I said, and come back safe. Thursday before he was due back, I mean Friday before he was due back on Monday, we got a phone call. David had been killed in a motorcycle accident. For years, that bothered me about our last conversation. The reason it bothered me, I never knew what decision he made. I never took that last step and asked him. We talked, we talked about everything, about why I believed what I believed, answered his questions. Um, he was not a Christian, um, but I never asked him that last question, and it bothered me for years, and I would cry to think about it. And then several years later, my daughter pointed out to me, I mean, I was in tears and you know talking to her, and she said, Mama, you weren't supposed to know. So that's helped me. But even to this day, I mean, that was almost 30 years ago. Even to this day, I think about David. And I'm not going to know what decision he made until I get to heaven. And he's going to be one of the first people I look for. 
But the reason I'm telling you this is it's scary to tell people what you believe and why you believe it. But you never know if you will ever get another chance to tell that person. So if you're ever put in a situation where you are asked, don't be afraid to speak up. No matter what might happen to you, you don't know what's going to happen to them. I never got another chance to talk to them. Aaron, I think it's a important reminder of the need for us to share. And if you, this morning you say, look, I don't know how. I really don't know what to say to somebody. That's why we're having this training this afternoon, is try to, to equip you to know, to know what to say. And so let me encourage you to come back at 4 o'clock for that. We're actually going to meet in the sanctuary. We can spread out a little bit more and we can use these projectors. Uh, BJ is going to come. He has an announcement about You Sunday, which is really, really exciting. Um, and so uh, make sure you pay special attention to this. I feel like I have to tell a joke now, but, um, yeah. um, but no, if, if you are a Sunday school teacher, you have a Sunday school class you'd like for a student to be a part of your class in, in a couple of weeks, let me know. Uh, the, the youth are going to be meeting uh, tonight and then again next Sunday night to prepare for Youth Sunday. Uh, we're excited. We're going to have uh, Alex Roth who's going to be preaching for us, and so um, and we've got the, the youth praise band. We've got some drama that will be some 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 rehearsed drama. I mean, you know, with, with teenagers sometimes there's drama, but um, but so so it'll it'll be good. But we want them to teach in your class as well, and just uh, this is part of that discipleship process and training people uh, just in, in the work of the church and, and how we and how we go about um, making disciples. So if you have any questions, just uh, see me or send me an email or, or a text message or something, and I'll try to. Try to answer your question, but uh, we're looking forward to it. Thank you. Our Deacon of the Week is uh, Dennis McMichael. Dennis, if you want to come up here, while he's coming up here, let me just give, uh, just express some thanks and, and a shout out to some people who worked a lot of hours yesterday uh, to try to help rewire some things in, in hopes of making our online services better quality. Uh, I know sometimes when you're traveling, or maybe those of you who've been watching at home, we're trying to improve the quality of that. You maybe didn't notice a difference in here. Uh, maybe you did, but hopefully over the next couple of weeks you'll notice that, that difference online. So obviously Tripp uh, did a lot of this, and he has that knowledge, so a huge shout-out to Tripp. Uh, Brian, Lucas, and, and BJ uh, did a lot of work yesterday. Uh, Steve Holloway. Uh, cleaned out that, that area back there, the sound booth. So if you're in the sound booth, you can thank Steve for that. Uh, Carter and Alex uh, Roth uh, helped uh, immensely. Uh, Alex is going to preach it in a couple weeks, but I know Alex can do really good work underneath this stage. He was down there for like two to two and a half hours laying on his belly and his back helping out. And then Mr. Kerry Beard was doing some work back there with the camera and trying to hide some wires. And so hopefully I didn't miss anybody. But there's a lot of work that goes on sometimes behind the scenes. And I just wanted to express my uh, gratitude uh, to them. Mr. Dennis, if you'll come close us with a word of prayer, if you will stand. And after Dennis prays, you will be dismissed. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the privilege we have to come and gather in this house, Lord, to worship you. Lord, you alone are worthy of our praise. Lord, we thank you for the many in this church that uh, find tasks that need to be done and take care of those tasks. Lord, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for our preaching staff. Lord, I pray that uh, 
uh, you'd continue to bless them in their ministry as they seek to uh, serve you in that capacity. Lord, you've called us to be disciples, though, and disciple makers. So, Lord, I pray that uh, we take what we've heard today to heart, Lord, that we would uh, seek to, to understand those opportunities that you give us to, to share that gospel message, that we not wait until tomorrow or the next day, but, Lord, we would take that opportunity as you give that. So, Lord, I pray that you just help us to be conscious of how you're working in our lives and through our lives so that we might honor you. So, Lord, it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.